Welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by Amoria Bond. In each episode, Amoria Bond will interview a prominent leader from across their specialist STEM sectors to discuss their personal experiences of progression and share invaluable insights and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them. This is Progressing Lives Everywhere. Hi, I'm Natasha Crump, ESG Director at Amoria Bond. My guest today is award-winning executive coach, Nikki Lowe. After a successful career as an account manager selling complex IT solutions to Fortune 500 company boards such as General Motors, Xerox, TNT and ICI, Nikki set up executive coaching company Luminate Development to deliver bespoke coaching to high potential executives and established leaders designed to help them navigate the challenges of leadership and organisational life. Inspired by her own experiences of parenthood and work in 2018, Nikki founded Wisdom for Working Mums to share resources that help working mums achieve control and balance in their lives and confidently make the adjustments they need to thrive and succeed. Nikki is also a published author and successful podcaster. So welcome, Nikki. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you near, Nikki. And I'm going to start by asking the question I always ask, which is quite simply, what does progression mean to you? Oh, that's such a good question and a really reflective one. So when I was reflecting on what progression meant, for me, it was about continual development. But that continual development for me isn't necessarily a straight line or this kind of perfect line. I found in my own career and supporting other people with their progression, it can be quite a squiggly line, sometimes feeling like you're going backwards. Sometimes at times it may not make complete sense. But for me, it's about integrating my own learning. It's about reflecting on the journey, on what's working, what's not working, and about experimenting. I've really found in my own career that actually it's not always the move that I think is going to lead to my progression is actually the right move. Yeah, I thought that was a really powerful and complex question of which it kind of sent me off in in kind of loads of different directions. So for me, it's about becoming wiser. It is about continually and gradually kind of moving forward. But that isn't necessarily always in a straight, perfect line. I love that idea because quite often we do have this sort of idea in our head that progression is this sort of linear forward motion perfect line this concept and it seems to be less popular now that you have your career mapped out for your next two years five years 10 years 15 years and you just go for that goal so for you is it as much about being remaining agile and adapting to what's really happening in life yeah absolutely and I think when we talk about that perfect Lillian line actually I found that when my most powerful progression is often when I'm in that messy middle bit where it just sometimes doesn't make sense. I'm uncertain, I'm unsure, I'm doubting myself. And then all of a sudden, it kind of bursts to that next kind of level in in progression. So I think it is one of the things that I've learned over time is this concept of Aikido, and, and particularly when it comes to leadership, about the, the principle of it's a martial arts. And in Aikido, they talk about 
be prepared for everything, but expect nothing. But you, can you be grounded and open? Because often when I've been kind of blinkered to, I think this is where progression is, I've kind of missed opportunities or dismissed them too quickly. And so, yeah, it's that agility to, to stay grounded and, and be open to, to possibility as well. By being open to possibilities, though, there's a, definitely a need for a certain amount of bravery, really, oh, as well, yes. to kind of be open to the unknown. And I think kind of looking at your progression and your career and the steps that you've taken, setting up your own business is a brave step. Mm. And you've done it twice, Nikki. <laughs> Um, you've also written a book and you've put yourself out there as a podcaster yeah I'd love to know what drives you then Nikki what what kind of is the the key to those sort of steps that you've taken and kind of put, being brave and putting yourself out there and being open to those kind of different parts of your life yeah and it's interesting because when I've taken those steps I've often felt at my most vulnerable because you're stepping into the unknown you know there's, I've got no proven track record when I've kind of taken these leaps. So it's it, it has felt like a leap into the unknown. And I would say at times, some of it hasn't made logical sense. So when I left my corporate career, I was kind of flying high at the time. And I remember quite a few people, even one of my clients, I used to sell into the Formula One industry. And I remember meeting up with the managing director of a Formula One team who was my client. And I just left my corporate job and was setting up. And he was kind of questioning me about, what was my logic around this? And I had to be really honest and say, actually, it doesn't make logical sense. The package I was on, where I was in my career, how well regarded I was to take the leap I did at that point without some safety nets in place didn't make logical sense. But there was just this deep knowing in me that this feels right. And it was almost like I had no choice because my it's like my somatic intelligence, like my body intelligence was like, you absolutely have to do this. And it came off the back of, I'd had a bereavement that had kind of shifted my world on its axes. So it kind of created this interval of possibility almost that everything that I'd, I'd I talk about, you know, I was climbing this lad, career ladder of success. And at that point, when I was grieving, it just made me question everything. I went through this kind of existential, you know, what's it all about? And I just had this deep knowing that this is the path I need to take next. And it didn't make logical or financial sense at that point at all. So there's definitely been times about vulnerability. But the piece that I think has always guided me has always been like this North Star is really getting clear on what my personal values are and how they map onto my career. So I could take informed choice that may still feel uncomfortable, but it wasn't reckless or a whim, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. And it's something that I hear quite a lot on this podcast when I'm talking to that kind of entrepreneurial type of leader, people who have set up on their own. They knew where they wanted to go to a certain extent. They didn't quite know how they're going to get there. And they were taking a risk and they always take a risk. But there was that calculated side to that risk. So it was about putting themselves out there. That vulnerability that you mentioned there absolutely fits within that model of taking risks, being prepared to make mistakes, but doing so in a way that is considered and is balanced and weighted. So just on that, Nikki, having set up your own business twice, managing two businesses now as you do, looking back, what would you say are insights or lessons that you learn as part of that journey that would be useful to other people thinking about taking that leap then 
in terms of maybe those risks that you hadn't quite considered or the factors that you hadn't been aware of until you've done it? Is there anything that you can share that might help people who are looking to progress their lives by making that same similar kind of leap? Yeah, I think one of the things that I perhaps early on didn't get clear enough about and probably spent too much time focusing on that now I realise how much energy I perhaps wasted was I spent a lot of my early career focusing on what I wasn't so good at and what I needed to do better which absolutely can help and can help with progression. But all of the research shows that actually when we focus more on our strengths, we not only flourish more, but we achieve more. And I think I didn't really value my personal and professional strengths enough. And it's, you know, our brains are wired for that negativity bias. So we're, you know, we are wired to focus on what's not going so well. And I think I probably spent more time going, oh, I should be more X, Y, Z to be a really good leader or a really good businesswoman. And didn't perhaps focus on, well, actually, what am I really good at? What's my zone of genius? And really nail that early enough in my career that meant I could really put all my my energy and flow with that and perhaps build, you know, capability around me or outsource or, you know, the stuff that wasn't necessarily my strength. And there are always going to be areas that we need to work on and develop, you know, to make us more rounded. But I think I spent far too much time focusing on, oh, if only I was more, you know, and the stories we tell ourselves. So that would be probably a key piece. I think the other piece for me is getting more comfortable with that vulnerability that we talked about earlier. I often, earlier on in my career, used to think that, oh, if I'm if I'm feeling vulnerable, it means I'm not meant to do it. You know, there's something wrong. I'm not yet ready or, you know, I need another qualification or I need, you know, something else. You know, I need to read another book. or And so I probably my inner critic was always thinking oh that vulnerability is because I'm not ready yet rather than spending some time going well actually I you know I love Brené Brown stuff and she talks about she's done a lot of work with creative people around vulnerability and I realized that when I was creating my own business although I wouldn't call myself a creative person you know like an artist or a designer or I realized that actually the the process of creating and launching your own business is a very creative process and creating your own career there's vulnerability and creativity and I haven't recognized that so not necessarily seeing it as a red flag that oh I shouldn't be doing this or I'm not yet ready but just going actually that's part of the process and what do you want to do about that that's really interesting and if I can go back to that zone of genius I think that's a brilliant expression how did you hone in on your zone of genius then Nikki what's the process that you went through that went you know what yeah this is me this is my sweet spot that zone of genius a lot of personal and professional development I'm in that industry and I'm in it because I love it so I can't say there's one particular thing but I think there are some fundamental things we can all do around actually what comes easily to me that actually I enjoy and I'm in flow are normally signs that you're in your zone of genius. And it's not that it's so easy that it bores you. I think there's got to be a certain degree of challenge that you feel that kind of anticipation and excitement. But it's normally what you find just naturally comes easily to you. You don't have to question so much. And often you'll underestimate it because it is just so so innate. You kind of go, well, everybody can do that, can't they? But actually taking the time to go, no, not everybody can. And it's 
what I find easy, not necessarily somebody else finds easy. But I think where you find that you get lost in the flow, that you time kind of opportunities that I would never have had at that point in my career, which meant then when I came to graduate, my CV looked really impressive. And I'd done some amazing things that built my confidence. And it kind of just opened my eyes to what I could do with my career. So he was really pivotal. And he was also this interesting guy that kind of taught me some fundamental values, you know, about the power of networking and actually the power of treating everybody with respect. So he would talk about, you know, you network with a cleaner and you treat with them with the same respect that you would treat the MD of a, of a business. He was pivotal in, I think, in the early stages. And I had another boss like that who, again, recognized my talent when I was feeling at my most vulnerable. I kept being promoted into these amazing roles. But at that point, I had a lot of imposter syndrome. And he was just somebody that was this gentle guiding hand on my back that was like, you can absolutely do this. You know, you're not going to lean out because this feels uncomfortable. I've got your back. And again, that was really powerful for me to to progress in my corporate career with, without kind of just going, I can't do this, let my inner critic take over. And is that something you would recommend to people, regardless of what level they are? People, whatever walk of life, level seniority, the importance of mentoring. Because for me personally, I've always found it to be incredibly helpful. Yes. Often yeah. we get to a point and we go, oh, I don't need it anymore. Yes. I mean, it has been fundamental by far and wide. The best investment I've ever made in terms of my time and energy has been in supervision, more so than any training or, or other development that I've done. So yeah, and as I say, it's not just helped me professionally, it's helped me personally. And I think, you know, if you go back generations, we used to have those wise people in our communities or, you know, it, it's always been fundamental, I think, to human nature, but we've kind of lost that over time. And I think what I struggled with earlier on in my career was finding mentors and finding mentors that were role models of how I wanted to be. There were probably people that were senior, but I was like, actually, that's not how I want to do it. There's something about the values. So I think taking the time and knowing that, you know, that the concept of it doesn't have to be one mentor. You might go to one person for one thing. And, you know, I love that concept of, you know, you might create your own board of mentors. It's almost like your board of directors that you might call upon for different things based on their experience and, and expertise. And just expanding on that then and turning the focus to your passion for helping working mums, because I'm, I'm guessing there's a golden thread here. So we may be a lovely segue. I know that you you provide one-to-one expert coaching in this space that's dedicated to helping working mums thrive and continue to thrive. But also a lot of what you do under the umbrella of Wisdom for Working Mums, your company, your podcast, is actually freely sharing resources that help others and giving access to positive role models for women. I've got a few questions around this. Having listened to your your podcast and seen some of the blogs on your website, you interview some really inspiring people. Why is it, though, that we're talking about wisdom for working mums, Nikki, not wisdom for working parents? Why that specificity? Yeah, it's a really great question. It was one that I wrangled with before I actually set up the business because I was like, parenthood is hard. Working parents is hard. But for me, there was something unique about the experience as a woman, the physicality of being pregnant, giving birth, the hormonal and physical shift that goes on, along with the psychological shift of that. And then layered in kind of the cultural expectations 
for women are still unfortunately very different and I think it was my own journey that I really realized that so up until becoming a mum myself it was almost invisible to me I didn't see it and I didn't experience it through through that lens so when I became a mum myself I'd be highly ambitious career woman my career is really important to me and then I, I just reached a point where I knew I wanted children. So I kind of went into it going, well, I can do that. I'll have children. But then entered this almost kind of pivotal time in my life where I lost my way because I hadn't got anything to anchor myself to. So my mum had been a stay-at-home mum. So I hadn't realised that I'd got all these unconscious beliefs about what a good mum was. But who I was was also this career woman. And I found trying to marry those two together really difficult and it was almost like these two worlds collided and kept colliding and they felt in opposition and it started to tear me apart and I I wanted to be a good mum and I wanted to have a career that I loved I saw them as contradictory and so it meant that how I went about that stage in my life I really struggled and I ended up, you know, the typical, I tried to work like I didn't have children. And then I tried to mother like I didn't work. And it led me to burn out. I literally burnt out. I got adrenal fatigue. And at that point, it made me reassess everything. I went through this process and I was in a fortunate position where I could experiment again. So I tried working full-time, part-time. And then I went, I can't make this work. So clearly, I can't be a working mum. It's, it's just not going to work for me. Other women might be able to do it and seem to be flourishing, but I can't make this work. So I took my work out of the equation, thinking that that would solve the problem. And it didn't. I experienced mother's guilt still. I felt stressed still. And I was like, oh my God, it's not the work. It's not the external situation. So it made me then have, have to look at it from a different perspective. And it, I call it my breakdown to breakthrough moment because I had to go searching really within. I know it sounds a bit kind of like that sounds like a really grand term, but I, it really, I had to do the inner work to go, well, if my career is really important to me and being a fantastic mum is, is important to me, how do I make this work? And I realised all of the stuff, you know, the cultural conditioning, my my family of origin conditioning and looking at all the systemic stuff that was, was impacting it, but also what was in my power to do differently. And actually it meant me ripping up this, this rule book that I'd got from somewhere and starting from scratch and going, okay, let's build this how you want it. That was really powerful. And what I realized was, oh, my God, if I'm struggling with this, with all the resources, the mentors, the supervision, the psychological training, all the resources and tools that I've got in my tool bag, how the hell are other women doing this? Yes, there are women that, you know, senior women that might get access to a coach if they're lucky, if, they're, if their organization is supportive of development and coaching. But there's a whole raft of women that will never get access to a coach, either because they're just not senior enough or their companies just haven't got the budget to invest. So it sparked this passion in me about how can I share more resources for women that might be struggling in a similar way so they can find their own path with this. That's a really honest and open insight. So thank you for sharing that, Nikki. And I think what's powerful there is, again, the way you kind of took control of that situation and owned the solution for yourself. And I think that that's a really important message to share when we're talking about working mums, because quite often I think that the perception can be that we're just waiting for someone else to solve it for us. And actually to, to take your own situation and to work out your own solution is incredibly empowering and powerful and probably the most sustainable way of doing it, right? 
But I think that there are also things that organisations and managers and leaders can be doing to help working mums, working parents generally. So just whilst we're on this subject, what would you say are the key steps organisations or managers can take to prevent women, working parents coming back to their teams from experiencing that kind of burnout? Because ultimately organisations want to retain talent and working mums coming back, let's be honest here, are able to add massive value still, probably more really than before they went on on maternity leave or went and had their children because you learn different skills, you come back to the table better in many ways. So what would you say are the key things, one or two things that an organisation or manager can do to help retain that top talent within their business? And to attract great talent to yes. their business as well, to attract great brilliant question. working mums to want to come and work for them. I think the first step is recognising that it's an issue. As I, Like I said, before I became a mum, I was almost, it was a blind spot. I wasn't aware that this was an issue and know that, you know, there is absolutely a motherhood penalty that exists. You know, the pay gap between uh, women that haven't had children and that women that have is bigger than between men and women. So just recognising that systemically there is an issue and it's not a single organization's fault it's no one person's fault but collectively would you say we have to take responsibility for this so I think it's firstly recognizing almost take the blinkers off this is an issue this is a difficult transition for women it is absolutely what I would call a vertical development opportunity we can a horizontal kind of development opportunities when we move roles we might head up at a certain level one area of the business and then we move around and the vertical development opportunity is when we literally move up kind of hierarchy or take on bigger responsibility and it's recognizing that motherhood and being a working mum and a working parent is a vertical development opportunity we are going into new territory and we need support just like we would with any other development opportunity so almost getting rid of the taboo that oh if I need help or I need support I'm somehow failing or I'm weak you know it's just another development opportunity and thinking as a leader well how would I support somebody with a development with a development opportunity sit down and have the discussion about what are your needs what are your expectations what are your hopes what do you think you're going to find easy what might you find more difficult how can we as an organization support you so being open to have those conversations particularly if somebody's going off on maternity leave really you know I think a big thing that organizations can do is invest in line manager training for that to go kind of go because it can feel like we're walking on eggshells what can we say what can't we say but actually how fundamental those conversations are to building trust and psychological safety and you know open communication so and not assuming because everybody just as we know everybody's different what one person might find easy or struggle with is going to be different for the next so just be willing to have those open conversations I think hopefully a lot of organizations have moved from this but you know unfortunately I still hear it so much about you know presenteeism that a woman in particular when they're returning from maternity leave thinks well actually now I need to leave at a fixed time to go and do the nursery pickup or you know childcare, and there's almost a guilt that that therefore means that people are going to think I'm not as committed or people are going to perceive that I'm not kind of doing as good a job and just kind of getting rid of that whole presenteeism piece and just manage the talent manage the outcomes and be willing to work in a different way and have that shift in mindset so you can absolutely get the best out of these individuals because they're often far more committed than they were before they're far better at their time management they are you know they've got a whole new purpose behind them and they can work like they're on fire but 
they might be constrained because they assume people think they're less committed because they have to just work in a different way more flexibly. Really interesting and helpful insights there, Nikki. And just kind of leading on from that, I've listened to a number of your podcast episodes. Wisdom for Working Mums podcast is excellent. What's the most inspiring or impactful lesson that's been shared on that podcast, would you say, so far? Oh, gosh, there's so many. There are so many. I think one of the people that had the biggest impact on me was a lady called Eve Rodsky. And Eve is a New York Times bestseller. She wrote a book called Fair Play. And actually, it's a book that Reese Witherspoon had on her book club. And it's gone kind of, it's, it's gone phenomenally. What was so powerful about Eve is her background is she, she's a lawyer by background, a Harvard trained lawyer. And her and her husband were both lawyers, had their careers flying. And then they had children. And she started to see her career stumble. But what she, it enabled her to do, because she was a trained lawyer, and her specific area of law is family mediation. So she works with some of the most wealthy families in the world, helping them create trust funds. So she's got this interesting background of family mediation, law, understands family dynamics, and was able to apply that in her own home. And what she realized was that actually the domestic load was really unfair in her home, but she was struggling to find her voice to create fair play so that there's this loving playing field all working parents and I think what was most powerful about that discussion is she had these really powerful personal insights but layered them with kind of some society insights and what she was saying is often what we struggle with most within our own homes are actually society problems they're not personal problems and she's looking at it she's almost I have no doubt in years to come she will be recognized as one of these inspirational global change makers and I think what she Really, there were so many different insights, but about having conversations both at work and at home that enable us to thrive. And what she, I think, shares so brilliantly is that often, particularly as women, we can be really kind of powerful in our corporate careers and in our professional roles. We, we know how to delegate. We know how to motivate. We know how to challenge. We know how to support. And we, we do it with our professional hats on really well. And often we can then be in our own homes and struggle to find our voice or struggle to delegate because somehow we think that, oh, I'm only good and if I do it all myself. And what she's created, this is brilliant system for doing it. But yeah, it was bringing her own stories alive about the personal challenges and how she's layered those in to kind of more society challenges and found a voice both in her own home, in her, in her career, but now on a global scale. And I found that powerful so I think there's that piece around how can we be the CEO of our lives not just kind of the CEOs of our career which I know that I fell into not standing in my own power in my own home not for any reason I've got an amazing husband but I absolutely could but somehow I wasn't using my power properly all of the resources that you've mentioned the book and all of the other resources that we've mentioned as we've been talking today we will make sure those are in the show notes as well for the podcast so just as we're wrapping up, Nikki, turning to your own experiences, having kind of shared the key insights from your guests, what's the one thing, one or two, I'll be generous, that you would want to leave our listeners with today that you think is most impactful in terms of helping progress their own life, career, or the lives and careers of others? I think for me, and I wasn't planning to say this, but it's actually just, as you've, you've asked that question, it's come to me, so I'm going to go with it. 
it's about managing energy. And it was a concept that I just was unfamiliar with before. Having had my own burnout experience and having understood how I work at my best, progress and flourish and achieve the things I want, but in a sustainable way and do it in a way that I enjoy is about managing my energy. And so that is my physical, mental, emotional, and what I would call spiritual energy. So my values and my purpose and paying attention to that because I used to manage my time and focus on management of my time, but time is not a renewable, what energy is. And when I focus on my energy, so when I talked about earlier about actually when you're playing to your strengths, you just are in this energetic flow. You know, when I talk about burnout, that was about me not renewing my energy and paying attention to that. So all of the threads through this is actually when we can manage our energy, that's when we can progress, but do it in kind of a sustainable way. And what is managing energy for one person will be completely different, whether you're an extrovert, whether you're an introvert, what are your preferences? But actually, if we can tune into our energy, that can be powerful. Incredibly so. And it reminds me of a quote from Tony Robbins that he likes to throw in regularly, where focus goes, energy Energy flows. And for me, that's a perfect way to wrap up Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast with you, Nikki. Thank you so much. Absolutely packed full of loads of stuff there. I really appreciate your time. It's brilliant to talk to you. Thank you for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Amoria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Amoria Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.